welcome to Let's Talk Diz, a show that gives you everything you need to know to help make your Disney vacation as magical as can be in just around 15 minutes. I'm your host, Jeff Coviello, and with me each week is Disney Master Sandy from Easy Diz by Instant Impressions Travel Services. Sandy, welcome to the show this week. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty excited for the show that we have this week. Uh, it comes. It, it's one of my wheelhouses. It's one of the things I've been most excited for uh, since Disney bought the intellectual property. And of course, I'm talking about a galaxy far, far away, but not too far away if you live in the Orlando or the Anaheim area. We're talking about Galaxy's Edge and Walt Disney World and in Disneyland Resort. Heading to Batu is an experience that is simply unforgettable. This is the vacation you're looking for. So there's there's two areas that they have built. One is in Walt Disney World in Orlando, and the other is in Disneyland, obviously, in Anaheim. Let's jump right in and talk about uh, both experiences for any guests that might be going there. Talk to us about what we need to know about, I guess, each location. Are they different? Are they similar? What do we need to know? Give us everything we need because we are just at the edge of our seat. You bet. And I think they built them both identical because everybody's at the edge of their seat. We have seen unsurpassed crowds, not to scare you all away, but everybody wants to journey to Batu. So the lands are laid out 100% the same. You're going to find the same two incredibly immersive attractions, the same options for dining, the same options for shopping. It's all there. It's pretty much a mirror image. I will give you one big difference. And those of you listening to the show today, this was taped late January 2020. And so had we talked about this weeks ago, we would have said they were totally identical. But as of January 23rd, 2020, I am super excited to say that Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run at Walt Disney World only offers fast pass for planning purposes. So that's a that's a huge difference. They're not offering that currently, as you said, the middle or the towards the end of January we're recording this show, they're not offering fast pass for Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run in Disneyland, but they are in Disney World. Correct. So Disneyland has Max Pass and we have another show that's all devoted to explaining Fast Pass versus Max Pass, but Fast Pass is 60 day in advance reservations. That's at Walt Disney World and again, now that is an option for Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run. Max Pass is an add-on at Disneyland for day of Fast Pass reservations, but it is not included in Galaxy's Edge out in Disneyland. Okay, so there's two main attractions as far as actual rides that go in in both uh, California and in Orlando. So we had talked a little bit about how there's there's a fast pass for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. There's also Rise of the Resistance. And so anybody that's been following along, and if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you are following along with how things are going inside the parks uh, pertaining specifically to Galaxy's Edge and Batu. Rise of the Resistance is currently handled very differently. Can you talk to us a little bit about this concept of boarding groups that they're doing for Rise of the Resistance? It is very different, and... I will definitely tell you, it's a mixed blessing. I'm kind of on the fence how I feel about it. So I think of boarding groups as a same-day bonus fast pass. Once you're in the park, open up your My Disney Experience app. Right there on the home screen, it's got the Galaxy's Edge, and it's got a little click button, join a boarding group. 
You're going to hit that button. Everybody in your party that wants to ride needs to be inside the park with you. Hit that button. You're going to get a number somewhere between typically 1 and 160. You will see that there's a guarantee number for each day. And I, quite frankly, Jeff, I can't figure it out. The park (laughs) has had the same hours for multiple days in a row, and that guaranteed number changes every day. So typically, they'll guarantee somewhere between 70 and 110 groups to board. That guarantee means at some point today, you will get on. Very rarely, we've had it happen twice now in 60 days. They don't get to all the guarantee numbers, and then you are given a fast pass to come back tomorrow at any time. They also then do backup boarding groups. Those are higher numbers. If everybody gets to ride today and they have time, they'll put the backup boarding group numbers on. We've also seen now three different evenings where they've gotten through all the boarding groups and all the backup boarding groups. And the next thing I'm going to say makes me really sad. When that happens, they close the attraction, even (laughs) though the park is still open. There is never, ever, ever a standby line. For Rise of the Resistance. If they get lucky and they finish early, they are done for the night. So that boarding group is key. Here comes the part nobody's going to love me saying. <laughs> okay. Boarding groups are a free option for guests, but they we call it sellout. There are no more available, typically within 7 to 15 minutes of the park opening for the guaranteed group, and anywhere from 30 minutes to 120 minutes, and they are out of backup numbers. So if getting on Rise of the Resistance is your number one priority, I suggest getting the family up and being to the park about an hour before park opening. So you want them to get there an hour before the park opens. Explain, I guess, the chaos as to how that is being handled, because are, are, are we literally standing overlooking the the river are we standing at the at the bus uh vestibules where what's going on an hour prior to open you bet and i have to say disney is phenomenal with handling people i would not put the word chaos in it i would i would say high energy and anxiety i got several text messages starting at 5:45 the other day from a guest who was online and super excited to be going in, but super nervous that he woke his entire family at 5 a.m. And what if they didn't get on? <laughs> the force is strong with that family. <laughs> it, it is. So uh, opening times and closing times at Disney are a little bit unique. Opening time is the time that the attractions actually will start running and people are free to go anywhere in the park. But Disney came to a great realization If there are 2,000 people waiting to get in at opening time, we know that everyone's got to scan their ticket or their magic band and put their thumbprint down to get in. It could take 25 or 30 minutes from the time that they open just to get everybody in the park. So they have a pre-opening procedure. They will open security. You'll get through your bag check. They'll even scan your magic band. And in the case of Hollywood Studios, they open the park only on Hollywood Boulevard. So you're limited to that one street. That means, yes, you can pop in and get your Starbucks because it is early. But you're not able to actually queue up at any ride or, you know, explore the park. You're going to be on Hollywood Boulevard 
You'll get in typically as early as 30 minutes before the park opens, sometimes more like 15 or 20. But that electronic switch that they flip to open up that boarding group doesn't happen till the minute that the park opens. Okay, so if you're in the park, you need to be waiting for the official park opening time, and that's when you can access that on your My Disney Experience app. So the question I have for you then is, Let's say that I get in there, I do everything that you've suggested, I've, I've, I've followed every advice I can that my travel services professional over at Easy Diz has given me, and I get a boarding group. I am boarding group 45 for the day. How do I know when to come back to, to board with boarding group 45? Do they give me a time then? Do they use the force to get the information to me <laughs> later? How does this work? Well, boarding group 45, you did well, Jeff, and I hope the wife and kids are all still speaking to you. <laughs> It's a good number to pull. And, and the answer is, it's a little tricky to estimate. We give clients an estimate. We'll often have them shoot us an email that says, hey, I got 45. Do you have any ideas? The reason that we're using boarding groups for this attraction, it is like no other. It adds more different ride systems than any attraction ever has. So the term that Disney likes to use is magical enhancements. We sometimes midday find it needs to be magically enhanced. That might mean 45 minutes, 55 minutes, 65 minutes that nobody's able to ride. That's why you're given a boarding group number, not a specific time, because that boarding group number might be called at 10 o'clock today and it might be called at 1130 tomorrow. The My Disney Experience app is going to ping you when it's time for you to board. Don't worry about it. You've got at least 60 minutes to get over for your boarding group. And the other thing is, while it is a little bit of a guessing game, at any point during the day, you can open up your app and see what numbers they're on. So if you weren't as lucky as Jeff and his family and you drew number 97 and you open it up at noon and you see that they're boarding 40 to 52, you know you still have a while. That's good. So, so it does give you real time or as close to real time updates as you can. So you can you can plan your day. It definitely does. And keep in mind, a boarding group is not a five minute window. It's not like you're going to get this ping. And if you're, you know, on a ride or in the bathroom and you don't stop what you're doing and run over there, you're going to miss your opportunity. You've got about an hour to get over there and ride. You can certainly go in minute one, but it's not like you have to jump off of line from something else you're doing to get there. So you had mentioned that you'd like to consider it like an extra fast pass type of experience for, for the, the vacation. Let me ask you this question, because anybody that's tried to plan fast passes for their family knows that they have to plan your fast passes in one park for one day. Do I need to, on the day that I am doing the Rise of the Resistance and I've got my boarding group, do I need to have my fast passes in Hollywood Studios on that day? That's an excellent question. You don't, however... I'd love to chat with somebody who's thinking about doing it elsewhere, and I'll tell you why. As you said, maybe you got lucky and you pulled boarding group 45, but I will tell you as somebody who's been standing on the street, you might pull 45, and I could be the person next to you and pull 97. So literally, we got our fast passes within 30 seconds of each other, and we're probably about five hours apart in ride time. So I would say it would be hard to plan to leave and come back to do fast passes elsewhere without knowing where you're going to be. Now, it is possible that you don't plan any fast passes, get in, get your boarding group number, and then say, okay, it looks like 
I can make it over to Epcot by five o'clock at night because I did get such a low number. Let me try it. But I always hate to see people waste fast passes because it's such a great time saver that if you went with the theory that you could make it to Epcot at five o'clock at night, hoping that you got a low boarding group number and then you got a high one, then you're in the position of which thing don't I want to do? And we all know it's you don't want those Epcot fast passes anymore. You didn't get up at 5 a.m. for nothing. Right. So it's more of if you're calling audibles, you could you could do it in different parks, but it's definitely not something that you should have a part of your long term planning. Definitely not. Okay, so let's move away from the boarding groups, Rise of the Resistance. Talk to me about a little about the dining experiences there in Batu. What obviously what we've heard is everything is in theme, everybody's in character. What dining options do we have over in Batu? Well, not much in my mind. We've got two quick service options. And again, no reservation needed, head in, you can go to Black Spire and grab some grub. I will say if you've got a picky eater, it's a chicken nugget that they're serving for the kids that you can order. It's a different shape chicken nugget. I've watched more children sit there and pout and refuse to eat the square chicken nugget. Um, <laughs> well, it's also probably not called chicken nugget, correct? It is not. Yeah. So we all know how our picky eaters can be. And again, one of the things I love about Disney is you can pretty much walk in anywhere if you want to see it so that you can be there, check it out. I'm even a picky eater myself as an adult. Food has to look the way I expect it to look. If you have any doubt about your kid, stand by where people are walking with their food. Make sure your child's going to eat their lunch before you spend for it. The other thing that's pretty unique in that area is Uga's Cantina. As its name implies, it serves drinks and very light bites. It is not what I would consider a breakfast, lunch, or dinner option, even though it's open all day. The big attraction there is DJ R3X, and he is our built droid that spins the tunes for us all day. Unique to the cantina also is it is the only bar-type experience on property that requires a reservation to get in. So again, you're going to want to make those reservations 180 days in advance or keep popping on the app to see if you can get a last-minute entry. Good to know. So no formal sit-down dining experience within Galaxy's Edge? There is not. Okay, so that's good to know. Um, Yes. You had mentioned uh, our nice little droid DJ. One of the things I think is cool about Galaxy's Edge is you can actually build your own droid and your own lightsaber. So let's let's wrap up the show talking about those experiences because I know that those are definitely important to people. And again, kind of unique that you have to make a reservation to purchase a souvenir. But the thing I love about that, it eliminates disappointment. Have the reservation, you know you're going to be able to get it. The Droid Depot, all different parts come down the conveyor belt. You pick what you want to see. Do you want your droid to be orange or purple or white? Pick all the pieces. They'll help you with some very fancy tools. Put them all together, and he becomes interactive both in the land and at home. They are being a little strict on both the droid and the lightsaber, that it is limited to one guest who is paying to do the build and one guest watching them. So a family of five can't all build one lightsaber with the droid. It is a little more out in the open and everybody can kind of watch, but everybody wouldn't be able to be hands on. 
The lightsaber experience is just incredible. And hop over to our YouTube channel. You can see me in Savi's workshop, Building My Lightsaber. Um, you are brought into this area, so they will be pretty strict about the two people maximum per reservation to make one lightsaber. But it really calls to you. Savi explains to you the origin behind the lightsaber and the meaning of all the different colors and the pieces. And you create what speaks to you is how they explain it. Not cheap souvenirs, but definitely incredible experiences. Currently $99 plus tax for your droid and $199 for your lightsaber. So I think it's important what you said there. It's experiences, correct? So you said it's it's difficult to make a reservation to, to buy something, but it's not exactly just a souvenir. It's something that you're going and you're spending time with maybe you and your significant other, or maybe you and your son or your daughter to, to create something that you can then take home that is uniquely yours. That is definitely true. Both experiences are going to be a 20 to 30 minute thing now. Sometimes I know we all feel we stand online to buy something, but this isn't just picking it out, you know, grabbing the preset thing off the shelf. This is truly making something your own. Obviously, as in, in the spirit of Disney, as Walt had said, nothing is ever finished. So we're recording this show near the end of January of 2020. They've rolled out a tremendous amount of stuff for Galaxy's Edge, but my impression is that as the intellectual property changes and grows, the land will, has been built to grow and change with it. So as of today, is there anything else that you think we need to know about Galaxy's Edge that we haven't talked about? I would just say, you know, the Coke bottles are made to be dried, so they are also a great souvenir. And while when land first opened, there was a lot of buzz, your Coke bottle and your lightsaber are certainly TSA approved for travel. <laughs> yes, that was a little bit of a difficulty in the beginning. So now they, they've actually gotten on board. So that's good. Sandy, thanks for taking the time this week to talk to us about something that I know lots of people are excited about if they haven't been there yet. And uh, we'll talk next week. Terrific. Thanks so much, Jeff, and Bright Suns. Uh, that's a wrap this week on Let's Talk Diz. Be sure to reach out to the folks at Easy Diz by Instant Impressions Travel Services for any of your Disney destination planning, even in a galaxy far, far away. Make it a great week, and as always, keep making memories. Keep making memories.